All right, 1 Kings chapter 13, and we're also going to be going almost immediately to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, so you may want to have uh, two fingers there. My plan is, if the Lord be willing, to finish up this little devotional on this chapter tonight by giving some lessons that have come to my mind as I have studied down through here. You might have other lessons, but I have seven down here. Some of them are review, but seven lessons that I pull out of this chapter. 1 Kings 13, Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now note verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord (coughs) as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. I just want to point out some things here in this chapter that I think would be very helpful for us as we consider 1 Kings chapter 13 and some lessons that we draw out of that. The first thing I want us to know in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 10 is that believers, professing believers, all have common privileges and blessings. You'll notice the emphasis here. Verse 1, all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses. Verse 3, all ate the same spiritual food. Verse 4, all drank the same spiritual drink. So here you have a group of people, corporate people, that Paul is using here illustratively and in a warning fashion who shared common privileges and common blessings in that congregation. Here's what they shared. They shared... All of them shared guidance, 
and protection under the cloud. So the cloud did give guidance, did it not? And the cloud brought protection. All of them <clears throat> pass through the sea. That is, all of them pass through an event in which God Himself intervened. They saw that. How would you like to have seen that? That would have been a marvelous thing to see and to pass through. All of them shared a common identity. That is, they were identified with God's man, and in this case, it was who? Moses. It says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You have a common identification. And they partook of a common God-provided meat. So did they have food? Did all of them eat of that same food? They all ate of that same food. And they all commonly drank of God-provided drink. So all of them had that. They all had these common spiritual privileges. They all shared this common identification. And they all shared common provision. But then the Scripture says, verse 5, Nevertheless, in spite of the common privileges and blessings and identity, nevertheless, with most of them, note the word most, most of them God was not what? He was not well pleased. How do you know that God wasn't well pleased? Well, He scattered them all throughout the what? The wilderness. They succumb to death. And folks, what we need to understand here is that even though we all share common privileges, now just think about what we share here as a church body. Do we share the Scriptures? Do we share common guidance? Isn't there not a common protection have we not witnessed, either in our lives or other people's lives, a common intervention of God? We all profess to be what? To be believers, to be saved. And if you want to liken this God-provided meat and drink, if you want to liken that when we come to the Lord's table, we all share that table, don't we? We all partake of that. And yet, even though we share all these privileges... Sharing common privileges does not guarantee God's pleasure with us. Does everybody see that? Let me just ask you, does God ever get angry with believers? If you shake your head yes, you are in a remnant today. Most believing people today think that because I've been justified, now anything goes for a believer. And that God would never be angry with any believer because they're justified. They're unioned in Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we are justified... 
Justification is not an occasion to say to ourselves, hey, we're safe and we're okay. I mean, Christ took my wrath, isn't that right? But God does get angry with people. Both lost and saved. Think about this man, since we're in the Old Testament. Think about Moses. Was God upset with him when he struck the rock twice? And God would not let him go into the promised land, even though Moses begged him how many times? A lot. In fact, it was to this place where God says, don't speak to me about this anymore. Now, you know that if your earthly father says, don't speak to me about this anymore, (laughs) you know you've pushed the envelope, right? God does get angry with us And that is why Paul writes to this New Testament church about this warning. And we see that if you look down at verse 6, we emphasized it when we read. Now these things happened. Happened to who? It happened to Israel. And they become what? An example. For who? For us, when we read down through there, we don't think, well, glad to know I'm in Christ and God got mad at them, but He's not going to ever get mad at me. Those things happen as examples for New Testament believers so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And folks, what was happening with the Corinthians is they really thought that they could do just about anything because they were free. And Paul's warning them. And he gives examples of that warning. Look at verse 7. Don't be idolaters. Now let me ask you this. Was God well pleased when they ate and drank and worshipped a false god they called Jehovah? He was not well pleased. Verse 8, Neither let us act immorally. <clears throat> How many people died in that day? Folks, that's a lot of funerals, isn't it? 23,000. Verse 9, don't let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed of serpents. Verse 10, don't grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Don't do these things as New Testament believers because we have a model of how God responds to those types of instances. Verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction 
upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, what does Paul want to draw out of this as the main point? That's verse 12. Therefore. Everybody see the word therefore? Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not what? Fall. And this is exactly what was happening with the Corinthians. Well, we're justified. It's okay. I have liberty. I can do what I want to do. I mean, when I die, I'm going where? I'm going to heaven. God can't be displeased with me because I'm in Christ. What you're saying to people is this. I stand. And folks, when you and your hearts take away and don't take this warning and you say to yourself, I'm okay. I wouldn't fall like that. You're in danger of what? Falling. Now here's the amazing thing about it because this is in chapters that are dealing with the Corinthians wanting to go eat at the temple restaurant The issue is food. Now, is food sinful? What do you think? There's nothing inherently evil about food. You may not like some of it, but there's nothing inherently evil about it. And folks, this is what Paul's trying to get us to understand. It's the innocent things that become a platform for evil. It's the innocent things that become platform for evil. Why? We all agree that the food's not the problem. It's not sinful, right? You know what the problem is? Your sinful nature. Your lust. Your cravings. That's the problem. And folks, that's a problem whether you're talking about something that you think is sinful. That's a problem if you're talking about something that is neither sinful nor has any inherent righteousness in it. It's just innocent in the sight of the Lord. So if you think you stand, you need to be alert because what surrounds you is temptation. In this case, temptation from something that's innocent like food. But your lust and cravings can take something innocent and it can become a platform for evil. Everybody see that? Everybody see what I'm, I'm saying there? Okay. Now what does that have to do with 1 Kings chapter 13? Well, <clears throat> you have a man of God, do you not? And you have a old prophet. And you have a situation here 
And the man of God cries against the altar. Does he do God's will? Does God confirm his word? The altar splits. The ashes defile it. He even names the name Josiah. that's going to come some 300 years later. And then he is offered to come and eat what? To eat food. Now you told me food is what? It's innocent, right? And when Jeroboam offers him that food, he says no. And when the old prophet lies to him and offers him food, he ends up saying what? He ends up saying yes. Was he destroyed? He was destroyed. What are some lessons that we can draw out of this? Well, in review, number one. We noted that kings, the kings of Israel and Judah, either walked in the way of David or they walked in the way of Jeroboam. And folks, we have two ways before us. We can walk in the way of Christ or we can walk in the way of the world. Jeroboam would correspond to the world. Was his way worldly? They were. It was idolatry. And the way of David is in the way of Christ. And folks, we need to be very, very careful as we walk along this pathway. You young people haven't walked with the Lord very long. I've seen a lot of casualties. A lot. I've seen casualties in congregations. I've seen casualties with men in the ministry. Men of God who walked with the Lord. And they turned aside. Or they fell through something that was innocent. And if you, if you and I sit here tonight and say to ourselves, well, that will never happen to me. You are in danger of being deceived. Before destruction comes pride. Prideful people are never alert to falling. It's humble people that are scared to death to fall. Are you walking in the way of Christ or are you walking in the way of the world? Secondly, We need to be careful lest we follow Jeroboam 
because he feared for his position or job, he feared for his place among the people, and he feared for his own life. And so what he did was, in that fear of losing his position, his place, or even his life, he misused the Scripture to justify his own cravings. How many times do we read this? That Jeroboam did this out of his heart. He devised this worship out of his heart. He misused the Scripture to justify his own cravings, followed his heart, and then appealed to the people's purses and comforts for them to go along with it. And did it look successful? It did look successful. And every one of us is in danger of doing the exact same thing. How many times have I pled with all of us, including myself, make your decisions according to the Scripture? How many times? We must make our decisions in the Scripture. And if we do, the Lord will bless that. Thirdly, what He designed was Jehovah-like gatherings. He designed a Jehovah-like gathering. It really closely resembled the worship in what city? In Jerusalem. It had altars, had a temple, had an altar of incense, had times to come together. But even though it closely resembled Jehovah-like gatherings, at the end of the day, it was idolatry. Idolatry is in the hearts of every human being. We are, as one preacher said, we are idol manufacturers. Fourthly, although you can read 1 Kings chapter 13, And you can be consumed with the narrative or the story and miss the main actor. We can get caught up with the lion or the donkey. We can get caught up with the old prophet, even with the man of God. But who's the main actor? It is the Word of God. The Word of God is the main actor. It is what God has said. Now let me ask you a question here. What was more important? 
the man of God crying against the altar, or what highway and restaurant he was to eat at. What do you think was more important? What do you think? All of it. All of it was important. Did he cry against the altar? And and literally, folks, if we step back and we ask ourselves that question, and, and you know, we're not like, oh, we're here and we probably figure out where the pastor's going. We probably would all say, well, crying against the altar was the most important part. But no, what highway he went back on and what restaurant he ate at was important too. Every cross T and dotted I is important when God speaks. And do you know what God expects when He speaks? He expects obedience. Did the man of God understand? And folks, the more light you have, the more responsibility you carry with you. How much light did Moses have? Someone says, well, I don't understand why God you know, was so severe with Moses. I mean, all he did was hit the rock twice. Yeah, but how much light did Moses have? How much understanding did he have? The privilege that he had of going inside that temple, that tabernacle, and hearing the voice of God. Or being hid in the cleft of the rock and seeing the backside of the glory of God. Amazing. The more light you have, the more responsibility we carry before God. Now folks, don't say in your heart, well, if that's the case, I don't want any light. No, the light is the gift. We need more light, not less. So folks, whether, whether the Scripture says cry against the altar or whether it says don't take the same highway and don't eat at the same restaurant, all of what God says is important. Fifthly, <clears throat> a disobedient prophet can persuade an obedient prophet to disobey. Isn't that scary? A disobedient prophet can persuade an obedient prophet to disobey God's Word. That is frightening. And it's interesting that when the disobedient, when the prophet came and talked to him, you remember I told you that Jeroboam set up a Jehovah-like gathering, right? A Jehovah-like gathering. 
Look at, look at what he says here in verse 18. <clears throat> he says to the man of God, I also am a prophet. What's the next two words? Like you. Like you. I am prophet-like. Just like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord and said, bring him back and eat. And that word from the old prophet must have appealed to the craving of the obedient prophet up to this point. And he disobeyed the word of the Lord. Folks, when we identify with the world, when we eat with the world, when we honor the world, you are dishonoring to the Lord. It's very, very simple. Sixthly, when you honor the world, it will bring dishonor to you. Folks, have you ever read in your own Bible that something along this lines, those who honor the Lord, the Lord honors? You dishonor the Lord, the Lord what? Dishonors you. Do you remember a man named Eli? What did the Lord say to Eli? You have honored your children above me. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? And of course he had calamity come into his house and Eli himself died the same day as his sons did. And then lastly, what I pull out of here is that God shows no partiality. And we're thankful for this. But the Word of the Lord will come to pass even in the midst of compromise and apostasy. Even, Even the old prophet said so. Look at verse 32. For the thing shall surely come to pass which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. If everybody compromises, what about God? His word comes to pass. Just like he wrote. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. If everybody goes off into apostasy, the word of the Lord stands. And it will come to pass just like He said. And folks, we love, we love, to, we love to sing about that. We love to, to talk about that when we're talking about all the blessings that God has for us. But He's also faithful to chasten. He's just faithful, isn't He? (laughs) And I think when we look at this chapter, a chapter of no names, 
I think, I don't have this by Scripture, but I think the reason why the known names are there, you could say, well, the Lord didn't want to honor them by mentioning their name. Could be, but I think that they are nameless because they stand for categories of believers. And if you say to yourself, well, I, will, I would never do that, you better take heed lest you what? Fall. Lest you fall. So I do think 1 Kings chapter 13 is a chapter of admonition. It's a chapter of warning. And it can be a chapter of encouragement. It just depends on what category you're identifying yourself with. And may all of us, may all of us identify with the lion of the tribe of Judah. Because there was a lion that did exactly what the Lord told that lion to do. And did not partake of that man of God as he killed that man of God, but he sat there. (laughs) Just like the Lord told him to in obedience. And our Lord did that, did he not? And praise the Lord for that. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.